All right, I got a, it's like a maze up here. I'm gonna break something. I'm gonna step and it's gonna be bad. Well, good morning. Happy New Year, All right? 2020. I'm just gonna preach today. I'm filling in, by the way, quick note, I'm filling in for Pastor who is down with the sickness. I don't know what he's, what he's got going on. So we're going to preach today. We're going to learn about how we can see clearly with 2020 vision. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. That is not at all what we're doing. Okay, sorry. I, wow, jokes are going better way over, over here, way better than they were at the other location. Yikes. I had a couple of New England fans, I think, over there, and it was just bad mood all around. No, but I am happy to be here. I'm excited to be filling in. It is a privilege to be here with you all and then actually being able to share a word with you all. And so uh, I, I hope you're as excited as I am. Let's turn to John chapter 11. That's where we're going to be. And we're going to be looking at God's timing today. And why isn't God more punctual? Because it can be kind of annoying. And <laughs> I mean, Oh, well, you know, I'll say it. That's okay. You all have thought it. Man, Jesus, I wish your timing was a little bit more like my timing. And when it's not, it's kind of an inconvenience. And so if you've come to New Haven for a while, then you are probably, you may be getting used to uh, punctuality not being so, I guess, prioritized. Is that? <laughs> and my last name is Rednauer. And so I have often been accused of being on Rednauer time, which means five to ten hours late, it seems like. I don't know. It's just, it, so I can relate sometimes to, to this. So I get it. Okay, here we go. But we're going to start. Why isn't God more punctual? There it is. All right, we're going to start in verse one. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Verse 2, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So when the sisters, or so the sisters, sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. He whom you love is ill. I, I, I like how, they, how John doesn't make mention of when they sent to him, they kind of didn't say, you know, also, yeah, he's our brother, so we would really like it. But they tend to remind God, hey, this is who you love. And it reminds me of, I'm guilty of it, of the prayers that I've prayed where when I am, I could be accused of being sort of an immature Christian. And I pray these prayers, Lord Jesus. And we try to get something from God and try to almost trick him into into blessing us with something by saying something along the lines of, Lord, please give me a brand new car uh, so that I can take the youth to youth events because they not all, can, all of them can drive. Or please, let me get this half a million dollar house. I would only use it for Bible studies, small groups, you know. I mean, we've got to have a place to meet outside of the church. I would strengthen the unity of the brethren within the, within the congregation. Wouldn't that be great, Jesus? I'm just bringing this to your attention, just letting you know. You know? And these are the types of, of things that we, I know I'm not the only one that's guilty of this. But, and I'll admit to this, I'll even go one step further. 
when Amber and I, my wife's name is Amber, and when we've been married now for about 10 years, we've got three small kids, and when we were first married, we had no money, and so I thought, you know what, that sounds like a good idea. Other people who I will not name, we went and I bought a lotto ticket. <laughs> and I remember I had the lotto ticket, and, then, and I'm not harping the lotto. If you guys want to play the lotto, that's fine, whatever, I don't care. And I don't think anybody else does either. Unless you win, then we all of a sudden really do care. <laughs> so I'm not harping on it. But when I had the lotto ticket, I, was sit, I sat on the couch. Amber had gone to bed. And I was looking at the drawing. And I was thinking, now, Lord, uh, Bristol Road does have a couple of repairs that could be done. So, you know, just letting you know. And, you know, I felt pretty good about it. <laughs> I thought, you know, this is going to work out pretty well. But did you know, and obviously, uh, spoiler alert, I did not win. Uh, and I have never played again. I mean, again, I'm not harping on any of those who do. But, I mean, did you know that people who win the lottery, the majority of them end up worse off than they were before they won the lottery? In fact, it's, so, it's such a serious thing that actually some of them have committed suicide. And I think God saves us from some of these ridiculous prayers that we pray when, when we're not in tune with what his spirit is speaking to us, when we're not praying according to his will. And so we think, man, why doesn't God answer this prayer? And then we realize, oh, that was a ridiculous prayer from an immature Christian who is not getting in line with God's will and his timing, as we'll, as we'll point out. But I don't want to make it sound like I'm beating up on Martha and Mary. I think that they're very wonderful. I mean, who am I, right? So here we are. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And then verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And verse 6, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Everything makes sense up to this point. <laughs> it's not a, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, but he was busy, so he had to stay two days longer. No, that word so is very important. It is so important. Because what that indicates is that verse 6 is a continuation of verse 5. Jesus loves, so he delays. And we'll dive into that in a minute. But let me back up to verse 4 quickly. If you've spent some time in church, and undoubtedly you have gone through ups and downs in life, as we all have. And you have shared this with somebody. You have said, I'm going through this struggle. Then, without a doubt, at some point, you have heard the response that was given. And it is something along the lines of, God is working in your life. God has a plan for your life. And there is a reason for this. And while that is true, it doesn't do much for, maybe I'm just speaking to, from a personal perspective, it doesn't do much to alleviate the grief and pain that I'm feeling right then and there. And so in verse 4, 
when John writes this, he doesn't indicate, though, how Jesus feels. And you might be saying, why is this important? What, what does emotion have to do with this? Well, I think emotion, God's emotions and how God feels about you is very important. If I am going to live my life for Jesus, if I'm going to give my heart to God and dedicate my kids to God and say, Lord, they are yours, do with them as you please, then I need to know that I am more than just a chess piece on a game board. I, it is comforting to me to know if I am grieving alone or if I am not. I, you, we, it is always better never to be alone in your grief. Amen to that? Would, would we agree to that? And so when Jesus here in verse 4, he says, this illness, well, that is the work that God is doing or the project. God's got a project. So this illness, I've got a little diagram here. Where is it? Oh, there we go. It, there, it's coming and boom. There it is. All right. We are all on the same page today. So this illness is a project. And then we have in verse 4, it is for the glory of God. So we have the purpose. And then, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This is what Jesus responds back and says, this is what I'm telling you to tell Martha and Mary. So now we have the project, the purpose, and the plan. What is the plan? So that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That's the plan. And that is, God, I am, I am struggling. Well, don't worry about it because God is working in your life. You got, he's got a project that he's doing. God, I am struggling to pay the bills. Well, don't worry because God's got a purpose behind it. Lord, my, my marriage is on the fritz. It's crumbling. Well, that's okay because God's got a plan. Well, that is, that is helpful, but, and, and I would even say hopeful, but how does that get me from here to next week? When I'm like, okay, that's great, but how do I, how do I deal with the now? I got to deal with the now. I got to deal with it, and it doesn't help me to know that you're up there saying, okay, just relax. I'm in control. That doesn't give me much comfort, but here's the, here's, here's the, here's the ticket. I've, I've read ahead in, pre, in preparing for today. In verse 33, we find out how Jesus feels. I'll turn you there, and he says this. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. You see, I have this, and that's great, but I still have a problem, because my problem is, is that while all of this I know is happening, I still have an issue with the now. This is all future, in the future. God is going to do something, but yet now is what I'm stuck in. You see, in John chapter 12, Mary and Martha are worshiping, but we're stuck in John chapter 11, and some of us have been in, in chapter 11 for quite a long time, and so what is my problem? I don't know if I'm going through this alone, but let me tell you, in verse Verses 33, we have an answer to that problem because we see that now we are not alone. Jesus deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Do you guys know the shortest verse in the Bible? It's coming up. Anybody? Anybody know what it is? Just shout it out to me. I'll give you a candy bar if you shout it out. 
No, I won't. That's true. I owe your daughter like two candy bars. <laughs> That's true. I, I'm in debt. All right. Wait, wait. So, okay, what? Say it again. Jesus wept. John 11, verse 35. Jesus wept. Now, I think the Bible is perfect, inerrant. It doesn't contradict itself. But unfortunately for us, it is written in mere human language. It is written in our feeble English language that can only attempt to describe how Jesus weeps. When, when my firstborn was, when she was born, little Lucy was born. She was in the hospital for two weeks. And we didn't know what was going on. We were kind of in the dark. And I would sit beside her. She's a week old, and she has tubes in her nose. And I know I'm not alone in this experience. She has tubes in her nose, and she's just, she's just looking up. And I'm just sitting there thinking, she's, she's, what is she, you know, what's going on inside here? Is she looking at me, wondering why I'm not fixing this? And I remember looking at her and just grieving and hurt, 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 that's pretty much it, hurt. I was hurting for my daughter. I think my love for my children is the purest kind of love that I can give while in this naturally fallen, sinful world. And with this pure love, the purest form of love that I can give, it's still tainted by my sin. And so even though I love my kids, it still falls short of God's love for his kids. Because my love for my kids is corrupted by my selfishness, by my greed, by my laziness, by my lack, by my lack of ambition to be an earthly representative of their heavenly father. It's still tainted by these things. But God, he who knows no sin, he loves with a perfect, self-sacrificial love. And so when we read through John chapter, or John chapter 11, verse 4, and we see, okay, they're, they're sinning to him, and they're saying, hey, this guy that you love very much, he's, he's sick. He's not doing so hot. Jesus responds, this illness doesn't lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. We can, through our own lack of understanding of who God is, take that and think, wow, God is kind of distant. He's not very emotionally available, if that's Jesus' response. But thank goodness, because there are 57 chapters in, in, or verses in this chapter. And in verse 33, we see how great Jesus feels over this. Jesus wept. And I don't believe that our English language can do it justice for what Jesus felt. When I am grieving, I turn all of this, my illness, the glory of God, the Son of God is glorified through it, so great, I'm glad that, that there's a project going on, that God has a work that he's doing, a purpose, that there's a reason behind it, and a plan, that God isn't just throwing this all together, that it's important enough to plan it through. And so now I can say, 
how wonderful is it I don't have to mourn alone. Not only do I not have to mourn alone, but God mourns with me. Not only does God mourn with me, but God probably mourns more than I do. Because I, I would say our temptation is, you have no idea how I feel, Lord. And God would answer back, you have no idea how deep this cuts. Because God loves. God loves so much. And we see that. And that turns my problem and it turns it into praise. Then I can praise. Because I know, Lord, you, you have a plan for me and you see me through it. And even though it hurts me, I know that it hurts you as well. And how much love does that take when you know what's good and best that you take it on yourself as well. That is self-sacrificial, perfect love. One that you and I cannot fathom. And I wanted to bring that out because in verse 4, it can kind of seem like he's distant. But if we look, he isn't. Jesus, in verse 35, wept. Hallelujah, amen. He who bears my pain and my burden with me. Oh, it's so good to have a God that I can run to. All right, moving on. All right, moving on. So, verse 5. Everything is making sense up to this point. And he says this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so he stayed two days longer. And when God delays longer than we think he should, we begin to question his goodness. We begin to question his love for us. And it's natural because why would we do that? We base God's love for us on our circumstances. Which you can't do. Do not judge God's love for you based on your circumstances, based on your, your situation. If you look around and start living by sight and not by faith, then you are looking for love in all the wrong places. Okay, great. <laughs> Y'all are there. Y'all are there. Facebook is a pretty big deal. Up until recently, they shut my account down. I don't know why. But I used to be on there, and I would see these other guys, and I, and I would see these worship leaders, these pastors, and it didn't just, it just, it doesn't ever seem like God delays with it. Like, it just doesn't ever seem like, it just seems like their timetable always lines up with God's. And I'm sitting here thinking, Lord, okay, <laughs> they're all living in chapter 12. I'm still ch uh, stuck in chapter 11. Uh, Any time would be great. And I'm sitting there thinking, God, I've prayed to you. I've worshipped you. I've gotten alone with you. I've sang songs to you. I have, I have met with you. I have sensed your presence on my life. And I have given you glory. I have trusted in you. And I have waited on you. Why are you not coming to me? Why are you not resolving this issue that I continue to struggle with? Why is this only seems like it's getting worse? Is it, is it, have you forgotten? Do you not realize all of the stuff that, all of the intimate moments of prayer, all of the times that I've come to you crying, and, and we have a, a, a way of, of crying out to God in this, in this sense. 
And because we look at all these other people and, and it seems like they're perfectly fine. And we think of Mary and Martha and those two days that Jesus tarried a little longer must have been agonizing, especially when they say, look, Jesus has been in my house. He's, I've cooked for him. He's taught here. We hang out. We're like a little clique. We, this is what we do. And now he's, he's, he's not coming. Can you imagine them sending the guy to go get Jesus and then him coming back empty-handed without Jesus? What kind of thoughts and emotions were they feeling? And emotions can be a very powerful thing. And so... They're thinking, you heal thousands and thousands of people. Lazarus, whom you love, is sick. Come heal him. Have you forgotten all of the time that we have spent together? Where is Jesus in this? Is it no longer important? Am I no longer important? Y'all ever remember that book come out some time ago? The Five Love Languages. Anybody remember who that was written by? Thank you. I, knew, I was like Tracy Chapman, but I was like, that's not right. I, I knew. I was like, yeah, okay. Yes, that is correct. And in it, uh, the book describes five love languages, words of affirmation, physical touch, gifts, acts of service, and quality time. And... Uh, Andy, what would you say your love language is? Let me just call you out, put you on the spot. For the whole world to see. <laughs> you don't have to answer. You don't have to answer. <laughs> Over at Bristol Road this morning, somebody said, uh, you know, you can have more than two, and my wife's got two, physical touch and physical touch. <laughs> I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> oh, all blessed are you, man. <laughs> I like how Furtick puts this. He says, God's love language is trust. When he delays, do we trust him? We show our love to God through trust. And we say, Lord, I'm going to trust. I'm going to wait. You see, it's nice because God's job is the outcome and our job is the process. And the process in this case is just trust. God's in control of the outcome. All I got to do is trust and wait on him. And see, we have the benefit here of hindsight because Martha and Mary didn't have a chapter 12. So here's a twist in the story. In chapter 11, verse 2, when John says, It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. See, that hadn't happened yet. That happens at the beginning of chapter 12. You see, Martha and Mary were beginning to worship because of chapter 11. But in the time of chapter 11, they were, they were in agony because Jesus delayed. But now in chapter 12, they're worshiping. And so we have the benefit of hindsight. You know, when he delays, we can count it as a joy because 
Really what it is is a test. Will you trust him? Will you wait on him? Will you seek him? Will you worship him? And I got to move quickly. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to go from verse 6 down to verse 17, I believe. We'll just go down to verse 17 when Jesus gets there. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Four days is actually kind of uh, uh, significant or relevant, rather, because in the first century Judaism, they had a, a Jewish tradition that with, after three days, the spirit would still hover above the body. Andy says they still have that. It's current. So the Jewish tradition is that the spirit still hovers above the body. Now, Jesus waits, or Jesus said he gets there when he's been in the tomb four days. Because Jesus knows this, so he doesn't want there to be any doubt that this is a mighty miracle from God. Now, he doesn't wait five days because, I mean, wouldn't that just prolong the miracle? Yes, but that would also prolong Mary and Martha's agony, their suffering. See, your, God's delay in your life is only as long as it needs to be. He's, he doesn't delay any longer than absolutely necessary. Four days, just long enough for him to work a mighty miracle and for them to be relieved of their suffering. Four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Verse 19. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And I like the King James Version where it says, Then Martha, as soon as she heard, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, as soon as she heard that, Je that Jesus was near, she ran to meet him. And one of the questions that I have to ask is, this is a new year. This is the very first Sunday. What will it take this year for you to run to meet Jesus? Don't wait for a Lazarus to have died before you run to meet Jesus. Run to meet him when the bills are paid. Run to meet him when the children are healthy. Run to meet him when the marriage is good. Do not wait for a crisis. And on that note, where do you come to meet Jesus? I mean, you come to the church. And any time that the leadership meets, which is not often, but when we do, and pastor says, okay, well, here's the bottom line. And this is what, and I quote, people just want to meet Jesus. And I love that. Because if you can't come to the local church to meet Jesus, then where are you going to go? If you can't come to the local church to worship together, then where are you going to go? So on behalf of New Haven, our part and our goal is to make sure that we are invisible up here, that we get out of the way so that we don't hinder anybody from meeting Jesus. Pastor says, leave your drama at the door. Don't say it into the microphone. Because <laughs> the, the people who are far off, who are far from the Lord, may be coming back for the very first time in a long time. And they don't need to know about, about your issues. They just want to meet Jesus. And I love that. And so you guys run to meet Jesus this year, and New Haven will take a step back and we'll get out of the way, and you guys will be free, unhindered, to come and worship. That is my deal with you all. I 
It's possible I might break it because I might tell a dumb joke at some point. <laughs> but I'm just being, hey, just being honest, you know, being open with you all. <laughs> but this year, run to me, Jesus. Don't wait for a heartbreaking, life-changing crisis to occur in your life. And we can't really blame Martha's initial reaction to Jesus. Because in verse 21, she says, Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And her initial reaction is anger, blame, and a little bit of disappointment in God's timing, which is still prevalent today that we're a little disappointed in God's timing, I know. But again, we cannot judge God's love for us based upon our situation. And I give it to Martha because in verse 22, she expresses a little bit of, of blame towards Jesus. But then right away in verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She's acknowledging who Jesus is and what he can do. And what is worship? But simply acknowledging who God is and what he can do and drawing near to him. That is, that is what she does in the very first chapter after, or the, the very next verse. And so we cannot judge God's love for us based upon our situation. And I can't harp on that enough. Why? Because here's the deal. Okay, this is the rub, and I'm going to uh, close up with this. The bleaker the outlook only serves to set the environment in which God can work a mighty miracle. If Lazarus had had a runny nose and Jesus came and healed it, Thanks, Jesus. That would have been really irritating to go on vacation with a runny nose. Everybody hates being sick on vacation. But where is the miracle? Where is the mighty power of God displayed? So I have a diagram here. The deeper the despair, the mightier the miracle. Does that make sense? The mightier the miracle, the greater the glory that God receives. And the greater the glory that God receives the purer the praise that is given, the deeper the worship that is given. So you have such despair, but it's paving the way for a mighty miracle, which then paves the way for genuine heartfelt worship in spirit and in truth. And another thing about this is that it really shows that no matter what timetable God is operating by, he's never late. The level in which God is glorified is often based on the level of power that he has displayed. You see, Jesus heals diseases all day long. He's been doing it for a while now. And so that's not a big deal. Now, because Jesus loves he delays so that he can display a greater power, a greater display of power, which then increases faith, which then increases worship. And he is able to do anything. Why? Because God is never late. You say, but, my, but I, I lost the house. We foreclosed on the house. I lost my job. My marriage is dead. My relationships are crumbling. But God shows that he overcomes death. Lazarus, the name Lazarus means one who God helps. <laughs> and on his deathbed, when Jesus delayed, 
how much trust did Lazarus put in his, in his name? Am I really one who God helps? And then he dies. And then what happens? Jesus comes and calls him forth and out of the grave. And he says, Lazarus, come out. You are one who God helps. And so not even death. So God is never late. All of these things serve to create a bigger miracle for God to work and operate in your life. And when that happens, he is glorified. And when he is glorified, he is worshipped with a purer form of praise. And now, what is, the, what is uh, so great about worship? Let me give you a couple of quick benefits of worship. This is why worshiping Jesus is so important to our day-to-day lives. Here we go. Number one, benefits of worship. Deliverance from trouble. Psalm 18.3. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Number two, expels depression. Isaiah 61.3, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I mean, what, has a, what takes a, a deeper connection with you? A spirit or a garment? <laughs> like a sweatshirt? Or, or a spirit. But see, that's how powerful worship is, is that it's, it's the equivalent of putting on a sweatshirt and it expels a spirit. That must be pretty powerful stuff. Number four, five, three, where am I at? Oh, shoot. Brings freedom. Okay. Math's not my strong suit. Brings freedom. Acts 16, 25, 26. And here we see Paul and Silas in prison. And what happens? They start praying and singing hymns to God while the prisoners are listening. And suddenly, a great earthquake, foundations shaken, and immediately the doors are opened and chains are knocked off. Now, I know that's a physical freedom. But it's when Jesus forgave the sins of the cripple. And he says, so that you know that the, that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins take up your mat and walk. He uses the physical to prove the spiritual. And so we look here and we see physical bondages, physical chains being broken off by worship. How much more would emotional bondage, emotional baggage, spiritual sins and and temptations, struggles that we can't overcome, whether it's anger, whether it's lust, whether it's any kind of struggle that we struggle with, how much more does uh, worship set us free from those chains. Number four, five. Man, I'm bad at this. Four brings joy. Psalm sixteen eleven. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is, jo- is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Brings us closer to God is the last one. There it is. James four eight. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. And what is worship? But drawing near to God and acknowledging who he is. If Jesus never delays in your life, then you will never experience a mighty miracle of God. In this coming year, when it feels like God is delaying, remember that God's love language is trust. So trust him and wait on him. In this coming year, but don't wait for your Lazarus to have died before you run to meet him. And when you run to meet him, do so with a softened heart. Because a softened heart is a worshipful heart. Be open to the things that the Spirit says to you.
regardless of whether or not God seems punctual or delayed. Trust and worship your way through this coming year. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Father, I thank you that you have given us a few brief moments. I thank you for your word that you have provided, that you speak, and that hopefully this morning lives are changed. I thank you, Father, that you love with a perfect love, that you love with a love that is unthinkable to us, to our human condition, Father. Our language cannot do you justice for the amount of passion that you have for us. Thank you, Jesus, for the delays. I thank you, Lord, for the struggles. I thank you, Father, for the tests, because these are things that we do not thank you enough of. Far too often, Lord, we thank you for the obvious, but, Lord, we don't see what you are doing and how you are moving. So, Lord, I thank you, Father, for, for these tests of faith, because we are better for it. And we know that through these tests, as verses 5 and 6 in your word say, it is because you love us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for making us stronger. And it's in that name that we are gathered today. Amen.